You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Faith and doubt, I think, will always coexist. And you might even feel exactly the way that this song says. sitting over there and like I'm just real honest I, like I don't feel what the author feels right now but there's something about me where sometimes I can feel the pain in the room and I'm so sorry if you feel this way because this is a lot of what I think I think that you felt this way and you've probably heard a lot about a God that's pretty upset with you because you feel like that you find yourself in a position where maybe you're questioning your faith or your doubt makes you feel shame or guilt or sorrow and you actually think that's from God. 
you think that's God coming down on you in such a way because your faith just isn't in a place where you think it should be. I mean, I know I don't need to repeat a lot of the lines that this guy said, but he writes, I feel so alone in the flock. I know that I have my doubts. Maybe faith is a gift that you wasted on me. I think that's the line that really hits because I know what you can be feeling and God can want to take you through something too can be very quickly manipulated by the enemy, by ourselves, or by a person who's incredibly well-intentioned in order to share something else. Because this is what I believe. That first song that we sang, So Will I, it's like this wonderful, amazing dynamic of the, the, the person that we want to be, right? The, the person that we want our faith to be like, right? If the rocks cry out and worship God, so will I. If the wind goes where you say it, so will I. Like, we're going to be a people that are following Jesus. And that's what we hope to. But then we feel a lot like this song. Can I suggest something to you? That both songs are worship songs to God. The, you'll find this incredibly interesting. The guy who wrote Faith Is, same guy who wrote the first song that we sang. A thousand billion times. You ask, how can that happen? How could a guy or a person, whatever it is, write something that says, no matter what happens, I'm gonna be faithful, I'm gonna follow you, I will go where you send me, and then write this song. Well, I know how you would think it. You'd think, well, he wrote Faith Is, and then something happened in his life where his faith got a little deeper, and then he wrote, so will I, or a thousand billion times, but that's not how it worked. The first song we sang was written in 2017. The song you just heard Davey and the band lead us through was written in 2021. Incredibly interesting to find out that this person is in such deep struggle with his faith for a myriad of reasons. Like, listen, the reality of this world is it is sinful and it is cursed and it's not the way that God intended it, but it's the way that we're in and he's pressing into this to work in spite of it. But we're gonna still experience days where we feel faith is regardless of how deep your relationship with is and how long you have been in it. But the reality is God wants to bring us through that. And I actually, I, I can't say this, but there's a line in that, so will I, written in 2017 that I think was actually prophetic, which means it was kind of like a word for the future for that author, William Hastings, and this is what it is. And so will I, he wrote, you chase down my heart through all of my failures and flaws. God showed him his heart, what his heart for him and what his heart for us is long before this guy ever wrote faith is. I wonder if he went to faith is and he started struggling with this and he went back to his head and thinking of that line. And I can tell you the enemy was like, you had it wrong, but you didn't. See, the reality is in this life, we're all gonna have trouble. We're gonna have moments like this. Like, Davey's talking about his parents. Davey's dad is one of the founders of this church. Like, we wouldn't think that families like that should struggle with stuff like this. But the simple reality is we do. But in the middle of that, what we find, what we understand, what we're gonna talk about today is we have a God that wants to pursue us in the middle of this. Like, that faith is, I think a lot of us would think we need to hide that from God. We don't want to share that with him. We don't want to let him know. Simple reality is God knows it already. But the greater reality is he wants that to be a prayer that we take to him. I watched an interview with the author of these two songs that he talked about faith is. And he said, maybe faith is a gift you wasted on me. And what he was talking about, his ability to compose and write music that so powerfully touches and so deeply shows us the heart of God was wasted on him because of how he's struggling with faith. And God's not shunning him for that response. He's not pushing him away. He's saying, I want you to come close. With that hardship, with that sorrow, with that fear, with that shame, with that guilt, with everything you're feeling in this moment, you come close to me because I want to show you what it is that I think about you in the middle of your doubt and your hardship. 
Today we're going to talk about a couple of characters in the Old Testament, which is the time before Jesus came, where something like this happened. One who had the faith that we all hope to have and subscribe to want to become, and one who was a little bit more in doubt. And we're going to get to see what God's heart is towards not only them, but us, regardless of the place we find ourselves in. Before we do that, I want to pray. Our ushers are going to come down, and we are going to receive our offerings. Let's pray. Father, man, I thank you for the way that you interweave, both in the Old and the New Testament, the way that you think about us, the way that you feel about us. May today, the wall that we've built up of who we think that you are that is wrong be broken down a little bit so what you say about us, what you think about us, what you feel about us will become more known to us today. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, our ushers are going to come down to the front right now. They're going to pass uh, bags as we receive our offering. Let me say, if you're a guest, this is your first, second, third time here, whatever it is, we don't want you to feel any obligation like you need to participate in this part of the message. The pastor says you can grab that thing and pass it right on by to your neighbor. But I do want to take a moment and thank those of you who are on mission with us uh, that are sold out to this message of Jesus for how you serve and how you give. You heard Tracy earlier talk. We're going to have a a summer hang on that Wednesday night, a week from this Wednesday. It's going to take the place of our midweek. Man, I want to encourage all of you to come out to that. Um, I think this is a great opportunity for you to kind of hang out with some people, meet some people that can make this place feel a little smaller. Because I know some of you do this. You come in and you see like a couple or somebody that's like you and you think, you know, we might be friends. But here you never have the opportunity to chat with them. I want to encourage you to be bold, to come out on Wednesday night. Let us provide the food. We're going to have some bounce house. I even think some water stuff for your kids to play with. So it's going to be fun for everybody. And if you see one of those people or family or couples, I would encourage you to take your blanket, your lawn chair, and go right up next to them and put it down. Now, not too close right? Like, like not all up in their business, but just a few feet away and maybe just start to have a conversation because these are the times where we can develop some relationships of people who have a similar or a like mind that can help us in this journey that we are in. But man, if you're one of the people, the couples, the families, whatever it is it gives, thank you for what you do because the only reason we can have Sunday morning, we can have summer hangs is because of you. You are the fuel that makes this ministry run. All of our power and ability comes from the body coming together. So truly, thank you for what it is that you do because we could not do it without you. So the account we're gonna jump into today comes from the book of Judges. So how many of you have heard of the book of Judges? Okay, so moves and some of you have. That's okay. If you haven't heard of the book of Judges, like I said, it happened in the Old Testament, which is the time before Jesus came. And in the Old Testament, a lot of it is the story or the literal account of the Jewish nation. And the Jewish nation is a little bit different than any other people group. And here's why. They're called God's chosen people. And I think for some of us, that thinks that maybe we think that God is like happier with them or they're better, but very simply, they were the chosen nation that was supposed to get the message of God of who he is, what he thinks about us, and they were to live it out in their lives so the world would understand who he is. And so in that happening, there was moments where they did it really well, but you know what? There was also moments where they did it incredibly poorly. And in those moments, God would send somebody to help deliver them in the process because they had a covenantal type of relationship, which very simply meant that if they followed God and and taught the nations about him, that he would give them supernatural protection. But when they didn't do it in that way, that protection would leave, right? There's a guy who lived after the time of Jesus. He wrote a bunch that we have in the Bible. His name was Paul. And he wrote this. He says, for the wages of sin is death. And that's where the people of Israel are in this moment. There's these wages that they've received because the way they've acted, and it's brought about a bad result, which is another nation has taken them over. Because the simple reality is we all understand that. 
right? Like when you go to work, when you do a certain thing, there's a wage that comes to you. And while that is applicable for finances, it's also applicable for life. When we react in certain ways, be they good or bad, there are consequences. Sometimes the consequences are wonderful and sometimes they're awful. If you don't know that, come talk to me. I'll share you the story of my six children. I can give you all kinds of examples, right? Or any other parent in the room or somebody who's been in authority. And the nation now is in this time of judges. You see, they weren't supposed to have a king. Israel was to be different than every other nation. Now, there came a moment where they clamored for a king, so God gave that to them. But this is the period before them, where it was about 355 years, I want to say. They had 14 judges that were the people that would, would speak to God on their behalf and help them. And they've been in a period where they didn't do what they were supposed to do. So they have been, God's favor is removed from them. And they are reaping the consequences of the decisions they had made. But in today's account, we're going to get to be introduced to this phenomenal woman named Deborah. Deborah who leads the people and helps them and brings a word from the God to provide deliverance for them in this time. But I'm getting ahead of myself, so let's go ahead and get into the text and see what it is. So we're going to start in Judges chapter 4 verse 2. It says this. It says, so the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazar, who was a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Caesarea, who lived in Harash Hagahim. Syria, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. But then the people of Israel cried out for help. See, this is the pattern that the people would get in. Over this time, and even when they had the king, there'd be moments where they did great, and there's moments where they would fall away. They would do great and they would fall away. And because of that, there were consequences. And I think a lot of times we don't like those negative consequences, but they're actually God's blessing. And that was true for us as it was for this nation. Because if you're acting a certain way that's turning you away from God, who loves you and cares for you and actually doesn't want something from you, but wants something for you, and you're allowed to continue in a destructive pattern and do well, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to turn away from that. So it was God's mercy that they actually get oppressed in these moments. But as they would understand what was happening and cry out to God for deliverance, the text tells us that he would send somebody. And in this time, they are presented with a judge named Deborah. Deborah is there to help the people and to deliver them in this moment. Now, there's a couple pertinent details that we want to let you in on here. It talks about the 900 chariots. Like Israel is an inferior military power at this point. They were slaves in Egypt that were brought out miraculously, but God kind of wanted it this way because I don't know about you, but I tend to get a little high and mighty on myself if I think I've done something well. Anybody else? Right? No? Nope. Yeah, get your hands up because your pastor's being, right? Right? No, we, we tend to do that. If we do things well, we get a little bent on ourselves in a good way and we can get a little arrogant. And he didn't want the people doing that because he knew it could turn them away. So this is one of those instances where the occupying force has 900 chariots, which were kind of like the tank of the day, maybe even better said like the nuclear deterrent, right? If you have chariots, you are a dominant army. They have more chariots. Israel has zero and this isn't even a contest. So basically the author is telling you there is no way Israel is going to be able to deliver themselves from this situation they are in. But it wasn't ever contingent upon them delivering themselves. That wasn't the system God had set up. He said, you call out to me. You come back to me and you engage with me so that you can be what you were supposed to be, a nation that shows the world what it is that I am really like. And what we get in this account is a story, an account which really happened of an incredible woman, which in and of itself was miraculous. 
You see, I know some of us, we, there's this, some patriarchal stuff that's happened in our society, but whatever your experience has been, it's nothing compared to what they would have lived at in this point. A woman was typically not allowed to be elevated to a position of a judge in some way, and they certainly weren't gonna have influence over the military side of things. But for some reason, Deborah is allowed to do this in a society where it never happened. And as we will see, there's very specific reasons for that, and Deborah is the hero of the story. She is the one that saves the nation. So let's take a look and introduce ourselves to her as she comes up in the account. Verse four says this. Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. See, I want you to understand this verse. Deborah was being faithful even in the time where society's sins, for lack of a better word, were affecting her. Listen, if everybody had acted like Deborah, the nation would have been in a good space. She's actually receiving the persecution of a foreign nation, and it's actually not her fault. She's the one who's acting in the manner that she could have. And so often, how about you, but in my life, when I do that, it can kind of set me off in a certain way and not make me engage maybe the way I should have. But we don't see that in Deborah. We get to see her character in such a way. And she was such a gifted judge, such a gifted prophet, that people would come to her. It was a big deal for a male to submit himself in this culture, in this time, to the authority of a woman. But Deborah knew the law. It was called the Torah. It's the first five books of the Bible that was given to them by God to help them govern themselves. And Deborah studied it, and she knew it. And it wasn't about following rules for Deborah. It wasn't about just having a book of lists and obligations so she could be obedient. No, what Deborah knew is this is the way that she could be close to God. She could learn from him. We just got out of a series two weeks ago that was talking about the fruit and abiding. And in that, we saw that Jesus, who lived thousands of years after this happened, laid out a way for us to be close to him. And then Paul wrote what fruit would develop in our life if we were. You see, we talk about how these themes are all throughout the Bible. This shows us in the Old Testament, this was God's plan even before any of this would ever written. That he wanted us to people that would be close to him so we could grow in our faithfulness, our joy, our love, and all of the other fruit that was delivered to us via Paul's message. And Deborah knew that. And the reason it was abundant in her life was because she was close to God. And as that happened, people wanted to be around her. Men and women would go to her for judgment. But then there comes another moment where God says, I've specifically got you in mind to help remove the oppression that my people are experiencing now. And this is the second reason I say this, is God moved through Deborah. I wanna read something that shows us the way that God spoke to Deborah in a pretty interesting way. This is what happens. Verse six says, Deborah summoned Barak, son of Abinam from Kedesh and Naphtali, and says this, is it not true that the Lord God of Israel is commanding you, go out to Mount Tabor, go march to Mount Tabor, take with you 10,000 men from Naphtali and Zebulun, and I will bring Caesarea and the general of Jabin's army to you at the Kishon River, along with his chariots and his huge army, and I will hand them over to you. See, listen, Deborah heard a word from the Lord, and what's incredibly interesting is it wasn't just a word from her, it was a word that God had given to somebody else. 
See, Barak, we don't know a lot about him, don't really think he was a military general, probably just a guy, maybe he had some influence in the nation, but there was a point where God had spoken to Barak and he said, I wanna use you to be a part of delivering the people because the people are calling out. They're crying for help and God has found an individual that he wants to play a part on this, but Barak had apparently received the word and kind of shunned it. And I think Barak had some reasons for it. Like it was intimidating, it was scary, like, like, if I called 10 of you onto stage that are twice my size and experts in jujitsu, if something supernatural doesn't happen, I'm in trouble, right? And Barack probably felt that. I wonder if Barack was like, geez, was that really from God? Was it something that I really heard? He was intimidated and he was scared and God's plan wasn't playing out the way that he wanted to, but God wasn't gonna be stopped because Barack wasn't gifted or wasn't sure or wasn't confident to follow in this plan. So what he does is he sends Deborah to tell him, hey, God's told you something. Man, it's incredibly interesting that God would tell her to go tell him about something that he had already spoken to him about. And that's because Deborah was faithful because she had pursued relationship with him. So Deborah had a stewardship of leadership that was greater where God would trust her with something like this. And the reason that happened wasn't because Deborah was incredibly talented. It wasn't because she's the most effective female or male leader that the nation had seen. The reason that happened is because Deborah was faithful in her relationship with God. So he knew she could be trusted with something like this. You see, God knew that Barak needed a little bit of help. And we can get a lot about God's heart from that. You know what we don't see in the text? We don't see God send a prophet to just chastise Barak. He doesn't rain down on him and shame him and guilting him into actually doing what it is that he says. Now, don't get me wrong. I'll bet you Deborah challenges Barack and he finds himself a little bit in that moment. But she also uses this to encourage him, right? And to all of this, Barack's response is this. He looks at Deborah and, well, first, I think Barack saw something in Deborah. I think there was something different about her that was permeating out of her. We would call this the light that Jesus brings into our lives. But again, Jesus hasn't come yet. None of that's been written. But Deborah knew something about abiding and being in relationship with God and what that would do. And Barak wanted that for himself. So when this woman comes to him, giving him a word that he thought he heard, he said, okay, I'm willing to consider it, but I have a stipulation. This is what he says in verse 8. It says, Barak says to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I'm not going. Right? Barak understands what it is that he is about to get into. Right? We don't just talk about the 900 chariots. God had also told Barak, I want you to go down into this flat space. There was a river that ran through it. And there was a dry season and a wet season. And for the chariots to be really effective down in there, it would have to be the dry season, which a lot of scholars believe it was. Like, if you were fighting an army that had chariots and you didn't, you brought them up into the mountains because their advantage would be taken away. But that's not what God was doing. God was sending Barak into the worst place to fight under the worst circumstances, considering what he had available to him because that's what God, or because God wanted to show them something in this moment. And I'm sure that's another reason why God let this vision or this word or however it was it was brought to him kind of slide by. But what he does say as Deborah comes to him is, if you go with me, I will go as well. Some people would say that maybe Barak was not faithful, which is why he wanted her to go with him. And maybe that is true. I don't know. 
Maybe he was intimidated, maybe he was scared, but I think the reason that he wanted her with him is because he knew God was with her. And if God was with Deborah, and what she had said was hid words, then Barak, even in his doubtful, faithless, or not as faithful as he would want to be, type of faith, he was willing to trust in that moment. But what's incredibly interesting is this. The reason that Deborah was keen on God or could understand him is because Deborah had been with God. See, Deborah had taken moments, long periods of time, I'm sure, and even short periods where she was developing this relationship. And because of that, God's hand started to rest on her. She could hear him. She could start to clearly discern his voice from her own voice or the enemy's voice. Like, you hear something like this, you really got to know it's from God. And the only way to grow in that dynamic is to spend time with him. You got to be in relationship with somebody. Like, if somebody yells to you and it's not somebody familiar with you, say, geez, I'm not sure who it is. But if it's somebody you've been with, you've been communicating with, you've been growing in, you're going to know who it is that's speaking. And that's where Deborah is with God. So when he says this, Barak understands that about her and is willing to go into a situation that makes no sense to go in. There's another part in the New Testament of the Bible. It says this. It says the, the wisdom of God or the wisdom of following God looks like faith or, or looks like folly to the world. It looks stupid. It looks ridiculous. And this is one of those moments. But Deborah didn't care. And this is why. You see, God's hand was resting on Deborah because she had been with God. You want God's hand to rest on your life? Spend time with him. This book is not about a list of rules and obligations. It's actually God's love letter. A lot of people think it's disheveled. It's 66 different books, different authors over thousands of years that doesn't flow together, but that's not true. And you start to pursue God, he's gonna start to show you the ways that this all connects together and he wants to give you the best kind of life because he's actually in it for our benefit. His kingdom is not about him getting what he needs from us because he doesn't need anything. He's completely self-sufficient on his own, but he loves us. And in that, he wants to invite us into something better, which is what Deborah found. And I believe God was doing for Barak as well. Yeah, I think Barak's faith was limited and less compared to Deborah. But I think in this moment, God's saying, I want to bring you along with me, Barak. So he used Deborah to help Barak understand this. When you hear from God, the other stuff doesn't matter. The fact that the enemy had 900 chariots and he had none. The fact that the enemy would have been fighting them in a place, in a position where it was better for the enemy to be in that situation didn't matter. Because Deborah knew the God of the universe, the one who spoke those billions of stars and galaxies into existence, didn't need Barak's faith to be great in order for him to do what he wanted to do. Deborah had a faith that all of us should hope and ascribe to go. And Barak's response to that in verse 9 is, I will go with you. So this is how it plays out. Verse 14 says this. Deborah says to Barak, get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Caesarea, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. Do you want to know why the other stuff doesn't matter? Because God was going ahead of them. If you listen for God's voice and you hear them, the other things doesn't matter because he literally will be going before us. And verse 15 says this. When Barak attacked the Lord through Caesarea and all of his chariots and warriors into a panic, 
Caesarea leapt down from his chariot and escaped on foot. Then Barak chased the chariots and the enemy army all the way to Harashath Hagalim, however that phrase is pronounced, killing all of the Caesarean warriors and not a single one of them was left. It's incredibly interesting. If you go and you read the next chapter in Judges, it's this poetic song. And this was pretty common in those days. After a big victory or something great happened, they would compose music. And what we come to find is God had a plan. Like God could have supernaturally taken care of this, but he did something a little different. In the middle of the dry season where the chariots were an advantage, God sent rain into a valley that was in a dry season. And because of that, the mud created an atmosphere the chariots didn't function. Caesarea had to get out of his chariot because it was stuck and he had to run. You see, the odds don't matter when we're following God. And God loves you in such a way that he wants you to understand this, even if we're in a season where our faith is a little bit more like the song faith is, because he wants to bring us into something different. You see, Deborah had it. She pursued God in such a way where she understood this. His hand was on her because she had been with him. But there was something else God had in store for Deborah. She wanted her to help this other person who wasn't there walk in it with him. So if you're in the room and you're feeling discouraged or bad or shameful or guilty because you're not Deborah, that's okay because God's plan is to put you in a place where there can be a Deborah or himself in your life to get you to the place where your faith and my faith and our faith can be more like hers so that then we can be a part of helping somebody else who's a Barack in their life, right? They're close. They're there. And they hear it and they believe it, but they just don't have enough in them to trust. A lot of you have probably heard of a God who's pretty upset with you if you find yourself like that. But I don't think that's at all how God operates. See, God doesn't guilt and shame people into relationship with him. He loves them. And in this moment, man, I think he was loving Barack because he had some things he wants to accomplish in this world. And while he can do it on his own, he doesn't want to. He wants you and he wants me. He wants all of us involved in the process. And he will put people in your life and in spaces So you see that and that happens. Listen to me. It was no coincidence that Deborah was the judge in this time. God had a plan and yes, there's sin in this world, but sin is not gonna thwart what he wants to do, what he wants to accomplish. And in this moment, he wanted to deliver his people so they could understand who he was because they cried out to him so they could be a part of taking this message to the world again. And chariots and dry ground wasn't gonna stop it from happening. God was on the move, but the best part about him on the move is he wants to take us the way he took Barack and that the way at one point he had took Deborah and Paul or name your any other biblical favorite character and bring them along. God wants to bring us along. He wants us with him on the ride, but he's never gonna force us. He's not gonna grab us by the throat or the collar or the arm and the leg and drag us. He's inviting but we have to take a step of going on this with him. Dallas Willard, um, who we've quoted a lot lately, says this in his book, Hearing God. And if you're looking for something to read about how you can better understand how to hear God, you take a picture of that and you take, this book changed my life in a big way. He says this. 
He says, today there is a desperate need for large numbers of people throughout various arenas of life to be competent and confident in their practice of life in Jesus Christ and hearing his voice. Such people would have the effect of concretely redefining Christian spirituality for our times. You see, God's on the move and he's looking for people to affect the dynamics in your world, in your job, in your family, at your school, in your relationships, whatever it is, he's actually extending an invitation to us, much like he extended an invitation to Barak to have a place and a space where your faith can grow. And if we're struggling, he's looking for other people to bring alongside of us to help us in this journey. See, we don't know necessarily where Barak went because of this, but I have a thought, and this is 100% my opinion. It is not in the biblical narrative, so just understand this. I think Barak got it. I think Barak started to be with Deborah. He started to spend time with her and who she was and her faith in Jesus, or well, and faith in God, because Jesus wasn't there at this point, started to rub off on him. And the reason I say that is in the New Testament, there's this book called Hebrews. And in Hebrews, we have something called the Hall of Faith, where the authors reference some people that had some pretty great faith in the Bible. And guess whose name is in it? Barak. The guy whose example of was somebody when he literally heard from God wasn't willing to go through with it unless somebody else came beside him. But somehow he finds his name. Listen to me, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how badly you think you have messed up or made a mistake. God is in the business of coming close to us in those moments because he has something grander and greater for us in our lives. But we have a part to play. And if you would say that's true, if you're in here and you're like, Adam, I could get behind that. I think that there's a question that we would all need to ask ourselves. And it's very simply this. How do we get there? How do we come to a place where even if we're Barack or not as faithful and totally at the other end of faithfulness from them, how do we get to the place where we can be more like Deborah? And the answer we went over in great detail in the fruit series we were just through, and we see it in the life of Deborah. We spend time with God. We develop a relationship with him. We get close to him. As we do that, he will begin to change us. Listen, if you try to change yourself, you probably can do it for a while or maybe for a season, but it's probably gonna develop some type of toxic relationship between you and God. And then we're gonna think things about him that aren't true because of our experience. Listen, we can feel things that aren't correct. We definitely feel them, and I'm not belittling them or making light of them. I've seen people do that, and it makes me angry when we belittle the way somebody feels. Because the way somebody feels is genuine, even if it's not correct, but God doesn't do that. He doesn't belittle us. He doesn't shame us. He doesn't guilt us, but he does want to come alongside of us to show us what is true and what is real and what it is that he actually says and feels about us. So for us, how do we get to a place where we can be more like Deborah? Who is the person you want to be? Because here's the reality. Man, God is coming after you and he is coming after me all the time. He wants to grow us in our faith. He wants this to increase. He wants something to change in us. You know, God kind of has a pyramid scheme and don't get offended until I say this, right? Because I know somebody's come to your door and they're like, well, if you sell this and I'll sell this and we'll all be rich, right? And we've all tried it like four times and we like net increase like 495. This is God's pyramid scheme. I want to do something for you. I want to show you the way, but it's not for my benefit. 
It's not so that I can advance. It's actually so that you can live the fullest kind of life in this broken world. And so that one day you come and you be with me when the pain, the sin, and the suffering, and the shame, and the guilt, and the doubt are gone. They are a thing of the past. And the pyramid scheme is as he does that for us, he wants us to be a part of helping other people do it for themselves. And there's this beautiful structure being built of people who have become faithful and are following and others who know who Jesus is because of them. And then they go and do it for somebody else. That's what God wants for you. It's what he wants for me. And it's what he wants us all to be a part of. But in order for that to happen, we have to have some purpose and some intentionality about thinking of how we can get there. And the way to get there is actually incredibly simple, yet it's complex, and it's this. Develop your relationship with God. Spend time with him. Understand that we can't be the arbiters of our own morality because if we do that, mine's different from yours and yours is different from his and from hers and we end up hurting each other. God has created a way where we can live the best kind of life in a broken world, share that with others until the day where he brings us home to be with him. That is what he wants for us. That's what he wants for this church. Um, I stole what I'm about to share with you from a pastor. And he says this, he says, in the church, right? And we're talking about CT right now, all of us. He said, God wants to take it through a couple of stages. And each one of these stages will always exist. At first, it's a hospital, right? It's people who are hurt, who are broken, of which if you are the most faithful follower of Jesus, you once were. He wants you to come in here. He wants you to receive. He wants you to learn and he wants you to grow. But as that happens, you're in less need of the hospital as you used to be. You don't have to live in the ICU anymore. Maybe you're down in the therapy unit. Then maybe it comes a point where you just need to go see the doctor once a week, right? The hospital begins to change. And as it's changing, the people growing are turning into a family. A family that loves each other, that cares for each other, that listens to each other, that carries each other's burdens and hardship. And as we become a family, he then wants to shift us into an army. An army that goes out and does for others what has been done for us. That's the story of Deborah and Barak. A woman who at some point had been ministered to, grew into a family, and then became a soldier in the army for God's kingdom, which fights incredibly different than anyone else. You want to know how it fights? Read the words of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus is God himself in human form on this earth and is the perfect picture of God. And his army does it differently. We love our enemies. We pray for them. We don't curse them. We don't malign, we don't do these things. And it's not about rules, it's about a relationship dynamic that God wants to give to us that we can help others experience so that we can find this thing that the Bible calls an abundant life. I don't know where you are, I don't know where you've been, but I know every single one of us has failures and flaws. And I just wanna leave you with this thought. That first song, So Will I, the end he says this, you chase down my heart through all of my failures and flaws. God's not looking to shame you. He's not looking to ridicule you or come down at you. He wants your life to change and to be different, to be a member of his kingdom, but ultimately, it's for us, and it's for our benefit. So regardless of where you've been or what you've done, don't buy the lie 
that when you're in a moment of hard or sorrow or doubt or whatever it is, that God hates you or is angry with you. That's the moment he wants to draw close. It's actually the moment I think he wants you to lift it up to him in a prayer or a song or whatever it is because he wants to show you what he's really like. And I think if we come to the place where we see God and we understand what it is that he's really like, we'll be a lot more willing to follow a lot of this other stuff because we see ultimately it's because he loves us in the most untoxic, great way possible. And he has something better. We just have to reach out and go with him. Father, I thank you for the words that you have given us. I thank you for the story of Deborah and Barack and what you did. Thankful for the way you moved in their lives. And now we can glean and learn so much from it. Lord, I pray that we would understand how you want us to get from Deborah to Barack, that it wouldn't be about guilt or shame, but it's the way that you do it. You love us into the kingdom. Maybe we be people who are willing to follow you, give up our rights, our set of ideas of what morality should be in order to follow you so we can have and find what these people in this book found. Ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.